Uh, yes. Is that a yes from you, Hunter? I'm doing it. Yep. Can I get yep. a Can I get a y- yarm? Please. Yep. So <laughs> All right. Uh. Good afternoon, Meat Suits. Welcome back to Read It and Weep. We are a podcast that used to be about books. I am your host, Alex Falcone, recording from North Koreatown, Los Angeles. I almost said North Carolina Town. That would have been weird. Um, <laughs> I am. Uh, I was just talking to Hunter before we started. He got the bad side of the coin toss today, so you yes, woke sir. up in a bad mood. Uh, Ooh, and thanks I am, for volunteering it at the beginning, I did, so I, I mean, can't I'm even pretend. Yeah, because we talked about it last week, so I just thought it would be interesting to bring it up. And also, I'm in a good mood. I don't know if I woke up this way, but I have... Uh, well, I have a project I'm working on that I'm currently not working on, and so I'm in a really good mood about that. Ooh, I'm just like great. stoked to be procrastinating. Yes. Um, but I, I think this will put you in a better mood, Hunter. I'm sure there's oh, nothing so. that could perk you up like yelling at me. Um, also joining us today, we'll find out first. Uh, let's go to our leaders of the panel. So first up, he's at Anthony Lopez Part 2 on Twitter in Southeast Portland. It's Mr. Anthony Lopez. How you doing, buddy? I'm doing all right. I'm having a real oscillating day. Like, I feel good. It's a beautiful day outside. I talk to my wife, hang out with my cats, been playing around with HBO Max for a little bit. Uh, Finest uh, streaming service from AT&T. There's a lot of really good uh, classic movies. Finally, very excited for the giant Studio Ghibli collection. Yeah. I look at Twitter just out of the corner of my eye. And I punch a hole in my wall. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I get real sad, and I have found the hellscape that is Twitter uh, to be particularly frustrating the past few days. It's been a, um, it's been a rough one. I didn't like Twitter is just straight up faces of death nowadays, and it's really bothering me that this is just w- what the world I mean, is. I don't want to spend too much time on this, but I would tell you my trick to Twitter is lists. I think lists are the key to Twitter is like, cause there's so many little corners of Twitter that are fascinating that I like. And so like I have, if you like, I'm, I like space shit. So I have like all my space people on one list. And when I'm like, I just want to follow this rocket launch today and I don't want to hear anything about anything else. And it's just the space people. And that's really fun. And then when I'm like, I just want to look at soccer Twitter for a little while. And I go to see what soccer people are up to. And then I also have one that's called like, ah, bad, do not open. And when I want to feel terrible, I click that one, and it's just got the news in it. How often do you click that one? Uh, wait, all the time, every day. Yeah. I'm okay. the worst. <laughs> I'm a bad. I I do not have my own interests at heart. Yeah, I uh, see. I don't like um, boxing Twitter. Uh, I like to look at it in its entirety, and I really feel like unless you see it as like a whole you can't really see the world you know you just love to stare into the fire yeah exactly um, all right well, uh, i hope it doesn't reflect yourself um yeah, also joining us ugh. he's at hun bun on letterbox yeah he's between two popeyes in portland oregon it's mr hunter donaldson hey what up yeah i'm not on twitter don't look for me there i think there is a representation of me but it's not real Okay. It's a fan account. Yeah. It's just yeah. um the parody yeah. account. <laughs> You've gotten big enough that people parody you. Yeah, it's not official, um, Hunter Donaldson. But yeah, definitely check me out on Letterboxd, even though I haven't been using it as much as when I first uh got into it and was talking it know, up. Oh, you the said show. You, you were so excited about it, and then we started talking about it on the show and I started following you and I did it, and then you're like not on there enough. Or you're well, not watching I mean, movies, I can't tell which. 
I log this. I'll, I'll, you know, I'm, I'm probably watching about two movies a week right now, and I'm logging them. I'm logging everything. It's just not as hot as that first week where I was just basically going bananas. It is super fun to for me just to see how uh, when I when I watch something, what everybody else feel. I mean, I only follow like seven people, um, but it is fun to see how you guys feel about things. Yeah, I like it. Um, that's pretty exciting to see where your your rankings are. Um, I follow like I follow you, uh, a guy from the Flophouse podcast, Dan McCoy, who we've had on before a few times, and then uh, the former movie editor of the Portland Mercury, and that's it. Um, so it's just like, what do these three people who are smarter than me think about a movie? Have you um, um, gone to a movie and gotten mad about my uh, score yet? Well, I'm, I'm furious about your score for this movie, but. Um, <laughs> That's the only one that I have so far. We, I mean, I, I'm only watching maybe two movies a week, so it's hard for me to like actually get deep into these. Right. Um, right. So let's. Well, in fact, let's talk about what else we've been watching. Um, I, the only the only other thing I've been watching this week is uh, my wife and I watched the Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt movie, Kimmy versus the Reverend, on which is a new Netflix movie. Did either of you guys watch? You guys watch Kimmy Schmidt? I watched the first season. It's too bad. You. I love. We loved that show. I think it shows so good. And the last season did not end as well as I would have liked. And so they, but they just released, I believe it's Netflix's second choose your own adventure movie. Oh, Bandersnatch too. So they Bandersnatched Kimmy. Kimmy Schmidt. Yeah. And the, the movie is so funny and it's such a better ending to the show than the, the, the season. So it was a really satisfying thing to watch. Um, and, uh, um, uh, Radcliffe is on it. And he's hilarious. But the only thing is, I'm not sure how I feel about the Bandersnatch format. Oh, yeah. Did you well, guys love it? Nah, I, I don't care. I uh, <laughs> I never gave it a shot. Was not really not really my style. You never Bandersnatched? I've never Bandersnatched. I, oh, interesting. Look, I like movies. I like video games. The only way I want them to meet <laughs> is if Hideo Kojima is <laughs> creative title is on it. Right? I don't get that at all. But I, I guess I just feel like it's an, it, like I like what Kimmy Schmidt did with it. I like part of what Bandersnatch did with it. I liked when Bandersnatch had a meta moment, but mostly it was just like I was every time I had to make a choice, I was annoyed. I wanted to be having fun and not making decisions. And in Kimmy, it's like the way they handle if you fuck up is very funny. All the little cutscenes of what terrible thing you did. Like they're all great. Um, and uh, like there's one where like just if you like you choose to go with the wrong person, um, it's a rich person and her son you, you, like fly somewhere and you could choose two people. And if you fly with one person, it's like, oh, she's ha- has her six year old son flying the plane because mm-hmm. he said he was a pilot to get in- into college because um, the show likes like topical scandals. And, uh, and then he crashes the plane and you all die. And then she's like, what an idiot. And then you go back and it's very fun. Um <laughs> But uh, yeah, but mostly I just felt like it's like I didn't every time I did make a choice, I was bummed. And then also at the end, it's like you've watched 30 percent of this movie, but I'm not in the mood to watch the movie again. So I don't know. I don't know entirely how I feel about it. I'm like on the fence about it. Just play real ass video games or watch real ass (laughs) TV shows. You don't need to mix them. People. That's an interesting thought. People work really hard on these disciplines. We don't need to. Mix them to a mix them up, you know. That's what I'm sure. Saying. I think it's funny just to watch, you know, because like playing video games, um, watching them kind of grow up over the course of my life, it felt like when I was younger, all video games wanted to do was be as cool as movies. Mm-hmm. And then now it's funny that a movie would be like, 
well, it'd be cool if we were like sort of like a game. And it's like that feels to me so opposite what I've grown up with, because it's like video games used to be like the underdog industry. And that's just not true anymore. But it is funny to watch it come full circle like that. It's very odd. I don't know that I entirely agree that they're trying to be a video game, but whatever it is, it just requires too much of me. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Also, the way they do it on Netflix is you have like, I don't know, 15 seconds to decide for each suggestion. And so when a thing happens, it gives you the choice. And then the characters sort of stall for 15 seconds. And that also is just kind of a weird vibe. And then it like... It's mostly smooth, but sometimes it'll be like, oh, I got to think about that choice for a second. I don't know. It's just not quite a I, thing I care about yet, but I don't hate it. That's the other thing is as someone who has uh, feelings about Netflix's storytelling quality, which I think is <laughs> not good compared, especially compared to like some other of the streaming networks. I think like you guys are already not good at telling a regular ass story. So now you're making me do the work for you. <laughs> you fucking dicks. I'm more I'm more uh, on your side with the laziness than about it being too much like video games. But um since you don't like that storytelling, Anthony, what storytelling have you been enjoying? What else have you um, been watching? Well week? I don't know if I would say I was enjoying this, but I decided to sort of conquer, you know, we've talked about this before on the show, those movies that like really fucked you up as a kid and whether or not you mm-hmm. ever go back and revisit them as an adult. Sure. Yeah. Um, so this week, my wife and I were looking for something kind of frivolous to watch. So I thought instead of watching, you know, we were doing a lot of great filmmakers sort of best movies. <laughs> I thought I would do a really shitty filmmakers best movie. Oh, um, that's interesting. So we decided to watch Paul W.S. Anderson's Vent- Event Horizon, which oh. I have not seen since I was very wow. young. Uh, I, I remember seeing it when I was way too young, uh, and it really traumatized me. I mean, it's uh, crazy. Yeah, it's a pretty wild movie. It's not very good. I remember, I think, so it's like I remember it just being very scary. And then I remember, like, over the last, like, Maybe six or seven years, I feel like the movie has sort of been reevaluated culturally. Like, I've read a lot of things, and people met, met, mention it a lot. I know it has, like, big fan uh, showings and stuff like that. So I was like, maybe it's, like, a legit good movie people have kind of forgotten about. Um, but I rewatched it. It's not. It is, <laughs> uh, it is certainly the type of movie that I think, like, a better filmmaker could have really gotten something out of it. Uh, it feels like the type of movie that, I'm, and this is actually true, but you can really feel it, but it feels like the type of movie that he submitted like a two-hour cut to a studio, and the studio was like, absolutely not. We're going to cut 40 minutes out of this. And that's what happened. Um, but it's like if really you, disjointed. Uh, but in more, in my opinion of it, um, from I watched it the first time um couple years ago for episode 324 of the show during our space month and um i was like i you know i think space is fun and so (laughs) when it turns into a blood orgy it's very upsetting i feel like they like abused the thing that i liked to make it bad but also i don't feel like i hate i like i found it to be awful but like maybe kind of interesting yeah i mean i definitely think it uh i like sam neil and i like Lawrence fishbone and they uh-huh, really yeah. carry most of the movie uh, i like the premise you know it is i kept leaning over during the movie to my wife and being like 
And I'm starting to kind of think that Alien might have been an influence on this. I don't know. I can't <laughs> I can't put my finger on it because um, it, it's just such yeah. an Alien homage. And it was just like, it's the type of thing that I really think the premise is simple enough. Uh, a, a ghost ship that is haunted. It has such a clear explanation of wormholes that Christopher yeah. Nolan stole the exact uh, explanation for Inception, which I think yeah, is really funny. Why not? Why go back uh, and rewrite it? Yeah, once so, you have something so good. Uh, but yeah, it's just sort of a disjointed mess. But some of the effects hold up for that time. I think in retrospect, if I really wanted to watch the best movie by Paul W.S. Anderson, I would have watched Mortal Kombat. Yes. Um, <laughs> but, Get over here! Yeah, I have, <laughs> I have not seen that movie since I was very young either, but I watched that movie to death. So I didn't feel like I needed to go back and revisit it. Hunter, how do you feel about Event Horizon? You're kind of like chuckling along. I'm not sure. Oh, uh, well, I... I So I can never remember whenever people bring up this movie... Or like, what are the, there are just so many movies around like the late 90s, early 2000s that have titles that are like really ambiguous and about people kind of being in like a bottle situation. Either they're mm. going underwater or into space. Yeah. Um, and I couldn't even remember if I'd seen it or not. And I was like, I'm pretty sure I've seen it. I looked it up. I haven't seen it. I don't even remember which one I've seen. It had like kind of a train, a train through space feel like hmm. the spaceship was literally shaped like a train. It's hard for me to remember what it was called. Somebody, somebody right now, listen to this is like, I know what he's talking about. Yeah. I mean, and, it's that, it's that time when they realized they can shoot movies in Eastern Europe for super cheap and just build one giant set. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> just like one spaceship set and we're good. Yeah. The lot, very popular genre in the uh, late nineties. Yeah, they were even like, man, we should get the very famous movie, Space Train. What is this movie I'm thinking of? With this, I have no idea. But I I really be under. It it might be want to make a movie called Space Train. Maybe it's like Deep Impact. What is that movie? Deep Impact is the Armageddon uh, twin. Oh yeah, there's just too. Oh Mimi Letter. Oh she's great. Anyways, that doesn't have anything to do with anything. Um, Um. well, that's fine. That's enough. Hunter, what are you up to? What have you watched? So I watched uh, Drive, which is a movie I saw oh, yeah. when it was in theaters. Well, don't speak too soon, because <laughs> uh, I have always kind of been confused as to what's so good about it. And I think I liked it better this time than when I watched it uh, when it came out in the theaters. I'll say some nice things first. Uh this movie is 2010s as heck. Uh, yeah, it is. It is the <laughs> 2010s, baby. It's got all the stuff. It's not super ambitious. It's kind of independent, but it's just like, here's like the small scope of the movie we're trying to do, and that's cool. And then the soundtrack is way kick-ass, crazy yeah. kick-ass. Have you noticed it, how in the 2010s, soundtracks got great? Yeah, it. Def- I mean, it is probably one of the most ripped-off soundtracks, just in terms of like... Totally. Vaporwave aesthetic, like it put vaporwave on the map. Uh, yeah, I do like vaporwave things sometimes. Yeah, into this. you do. That's surprising to me. You like vaporwave, bud? I like a little vaporwave aesthetic. Yeah. Oh, me. Oh, um, I think so. Yeah. Um, yeah. My sister was designing a, a set for a band that was like 
super vaporwave and i did not love the music but i did like the aesthetic oh you like the look of the stuff i like a, lo- a vaporwave look i like yeah as an art style of a time period is very interesting oh, well cool. hunter let me ask you how do you feel about nicholas whining reference uh sort of <laughs> the rest of his films as his oeuvre his aesthetic um so that I don't even I didn't even finish that one the kind of follow up one God only forgives one that movie rules too I'm think, a big fan of his work I think he kind of puts me off There's this Thomas Friedkin interview with him <laughs> Yeah I where he's like <laughs> I think he just sucks his own butt and Thomas mm-hmm. Friedkin is like Am I supposed to be here Yeah um, Yeah <laughs> That's basically the whole interview I just summed it up magically Like he like showed up to interview him and Yeah, yeah. But and uh, one- at one point in the interview, Nicholas Winding Refn keeps saying uh, that Drive is a masterpiece. Like his own <laughs> film, he just keeps saying that. And Thomas Friedkin goes, oh, hey, then what, then what the fuck is Citizen Kane? Uh, <laughs> I just, very funny interview. You know, what's really good about Drive is the the photography in the movie is, I feel like I've been throwing out this term like formalism a lot. Um, have you? I don't feel like this is the first time I'm hearing about it. Oh, okay. Maybe I just you've, maybe I just think it. thinking it a lot. No, you've definitely brought it up the past few weeks. So, like, Drive is a good example, I think, of really good formal cinematography. In that, there's a lot of just like it's just the the way the stuff is set up in front of the camera. Look at me getting all technical. It's good, <laughs> and there are, as far as I understand it, photography laws. I don't understand them, but you kind of you either obey them and you're a good boy or you disobey them and you're a punk art, you know, jerk. You're Um, cool. But I would say that these are in as far as the photography laws, they're being respected brilliantly. And that is not a diss uh, in the movie. I don't really know what the movie like. I don't know what the deeper value of the movie is like. It feels a little like. Like, like, let's just take like one little slice of it. Um, what's what's the name of the boy, the pretty boy, who's the main main boy? Ryan Gosling. Ryan Gosling. So he Dri- don't talk and stuff. The, the driver. Why, yeah, the driver. So why don't he talk and stuff? Is there a mm-hmm. reason? What's the reason for that? Should well, I think about that? Should I not think about no, that? Here's I. I really like, like I said, I like the films of Nicholas Winding Refn. Uh, and I definitely think he is someone, we could have talked about this last week with the sort of style over substance sort of thing. And I like his mm-hmm. book because I think it is in hev- very, very heavily stylistic uh, yes. and not really to a greater point. Like the style is the point. Like I would never want to watch only Nicholas Winding Refn movies, mm-hmm. but I like his movies just as exercises in pure style like i don't think his films are supposed to be that deep or anything you know sort of like the thing i always say is like drive is about a guy you know who sort of thinks he's in a movie thinks he's sort of a lead in a story and ends Mm -hmm. up getting transformed by his violence and what does he do in the movie it's a guy who gets so violent he pits on a big rubber ugly monster mask and goes and commits more violence like it's there really isn't anything there there except for the style to it. You know, like I really mm-hmm. love uh, like his, especially his past few films. Um, the last one he did about models, 
uh, what was that movie called? The Neon Demon is, you know, a movie that's like thematically about how Hollywood devours the young and eats them. And it's literally Mm -hmm. a movie about a model who gets eaten by other people. Like it's, there isn't too much there to analyze and dig into. It's entirely a stylistic exercise, but it's done with so much confidence and coolness that I just sort of like let it wash over me. Yeah. Um, Like I do think he might think have like, have deeper readings of his movies, but I really don't kind of engage with them on that level. To me, they're just like a fun palette cleanser between like super normal movies that I watch. It's just like, oh, I'm glad that I got to see this. That was very different and very stylish and a little mm-hmm. bit hip hypnotic with the way his movies have like, you know, just a lot of slow tracking shots. Neil Drive has very little dialogue. It's yeah. mostly just music and image and some really good violence. Um, so, yeah, that's kind of what I, I dig about him. But I think your question is like something that I had to work to get over with his movies that I just don't think there is a lot of there, there. It's supposed to just be something that kind of pits you in a certain headspace and you let it wash over you, you know? And yeah. that's, it's the type of thing that's like, if someone's like, they love his movies, I think that's awesome. But like only God forgives is a great example. Like I saw it and I was like, that movie fucking ruled. And my friends were like, that movie sucked. And I'm like, I get that. I totally, <laughs> I, I do not knock you at all for not enjoying it. It's, it's a weird so, one. So basically, I think what you're saying is when you're watching a movie like that, just hang, just just shut up and hang, drive. Just hang out. And, yeah, shut up and drive. Yeah, I, I was like trying that. to say that, and then I got caught up with hang yeah. up and drive, and it's anyway, it's too complicated. No, no, I, I mean, like it. Shut drive, up and drive. We have a lot of stuff to get into, so let's keep, let's keep it moving. I just want to say, Drive does have Albert Brooks playing a villain, which is really fucking cool. Well, that does sound fun. I've never... I mean, I, this is obviously why I'm super quiet. I've not seen this movie. I have very little to contribute, but I have driven a car. Don't love it. Whoa, so I don't know yeah. if that's related, but um, you do get some good podcast listening time in it. But all right. So we have so much to cover because today's movie. Maybe is that's why he doesn't talk as he's actually listening to podcasts mm-hmm. like in, yeah, I'm, in I'm, I'm, I have I have to get as many as I can, you know. Um, so, uh, we're watching the 29 hours long, uh, Lord of the Rings, the fellowship of the ring from 2001. I chose, this is my topic this week and I've chosen this, um, because I deep inside what I want is to be a likable dude. Uh Like I, I just want to be just like a normal boy who enjoys things that other people enjoys and doesn't. Um, feel disconnected from humanity um and so i just want to be like a nice fun fella who likes f- nice things and um i had not liked this as a child and had not revisited since then we've been talking about on and off and also we're watching this this week because um of a uh, f- uh, good friend of the pod ellen who helped me troubleshoot um a frustrating bug on our website uh, a couple months back where a bunch of episodes were not showing up for some some people and uh, they did just a tremendous amount of detective work and, and ended up helping me solve the problem. So um, everybody gets all the episodes back. And I asked if they had a request for an episode. And they said, uh, quote, the first time I saw Fellowship of the Ring was by far the most formative movie experience of my life. In my defense, though, I was nine. Um, and I've grown up a bit and come to ex- accept that maybe they're not as perfect as I once thought they were. But there are still many aspects of the movies that impress me. And I would be, it would be fun to hear your takes about them. So we've been talking about it for a while. And Ellen pushed us forward to go ahead and jump in and do it. 
So to everybody else who is curious about this very topic, here we go. So Lord of the Rings, Fellowship of the Ring, 2001. Here is my, I'm going to start with my five sentence summary of the movie. Yeah. And then we're going to jump into it. I normally do three, expand it out a little bit. Today. <laughs> yeah, this is the movie. extended edition of the summary. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Okay. So uh, Frodo is a useless teenage hobbit. Nephew of the incredibly great and wonderful Bilbo Baggins, who went on a much more interesting adventure several years ago. Through no conscious choice or action, he is thrust into a fantasy adventure where a series of interesting characters are forced to drag his tiny ass across Middle Earth. <laughs> and uh, uh, if you haven't met them, all the characters are all, there's like a fun secret prince, a very pretty elf boy, a chubby ginger mountain man, a few <laughs> random hobbits. And for fun, they bring along one evil guy just to like keep the party fun and exciting. Wait. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, they're, oh, you're talking don't about tell me to wait. Oh, don't okay. tell me to wait. I got three more sentences to get through. Yeah, let him have um, they, uh, he's chased by wraiths who are powerful ghost kings and whose only weaknesses are <laughs> fire, water, or simple misdirection. And he fights a goblin army who's genetically engineered to be perfect at war. And, and their only weakness is if they outnumber their enemy a thousand to one and then they are doomed. Um, and then the bad one dies and the DM decides to split the party and there are too many more movies. Uh-huh. That's my summary. I wanted to like it. I wanted so bad to be a real boy. I you, just, you didn't like it this time enough. Yeah. Just, I I tried so hard, you guys. Well, and so, here's here's where I stand. I'm not like I'm not angry at the movie. I am befuddled by the world. So why why is it like this? And why do people like it? What are the good things about this movie? I think, that no, I, am I think I, I think we need to ask you because it's like okay. So this is a situation where the two of us and the rest of the world. Right. I think mostly on the same page and yes. you are the weirdo. And so you I think like- we need to ask you what is wrong. Like what, what are you see? What are you not liking about it? What are you getting stuck on? That's what I would rather hear. Well, okay. So here are the things I do like. Let me give you some in- things I enjoy. I found four things. I like um, Saruman's uh, efficient underground breeding and sword forging facility. I think that's really cool. Okay. I like Strider. He seems fun. Um, I like the Balrog. <laughs> He's like a crazy giant bull ghost monster with fire in his face. And then I liked the big rocks, uh, big uh, kings carved out of rocks that they go kayaking by. I thought that was a pretty cool thing. Yeah, Those, that's what I liked about it. So there's just four, like four random elements. Yeah. Well, three random like set piece elements, and then like a character. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, I remember from reading the books because again, I read the books and I liked the books. Um, and I, I mean, Strider is just like such a tremendous character that I, I really enjoy him here. Although I don't feel like we get any real development from him. I mean, I think. Okay, so here's the here's well, the things do I know. There's two more movies with uh, Aragon in them, right? I do. I do think, though, it's unfair a little bit to say we made a three-hour movie, and if you don't think the characters were developed, wait, watch six more hours of this movie like i feel like other movies get stuff done in a normal runtime that this is like asking for a whole day to do so i just want to get one thing so what you're saying you do like the movie is you like three alan lee illustrations (laughs) and Uh one i don't know who that is but yes i like the art him and uh what's the name of the other guy there's two main uh, like uh john howe and alan lee are like the two main they were like classic lord of the rings illustrators who did book covers and paintings for years mm. and when peter jackson got the project he was literally the first two people he hired 
to work on. Yes. So that's why so much of Great. the... The, and he's uh, got an Oscar for this, it looks like. So I was going to give him Employee of the Month, but he already got an Oscar, so he's doing yeah. good. <laughs> uh, but one, I feel like... Okay, so you do like the books. You like yes. the story in that, the did when I was a part, child. By the way, yeah. that is the part that I wouldn't really care if you were just like, I don't like the books. I don't like yeah, fantasy, like so I don't fantasy like Lord of the Rings. For me. Yeah, yeah. It's just like, I don't like fantasy. Uh, so I obviously don't like the both of all fantasy. Right. Uh, I, mean, I think I'm like I'm fantasy curious. I'm open to fantasy. Ooh, I, it's like see, it's too sexy. Here's <laughs> what what I don't understand, and I really think that yeah, we you need to like instead of us asking you questions, you need to look into a mirror well, and ask yourself some <laughs> questions, Alex. I did. I did. Although I do think, again, like I said, I am, it's not that I am mad. I am like, I am so confused, especially rewatching this. I am like, I just, I do not see it. And I looked for, I searched for it and I don't see the thing in it that people like. I don't see how you got through this. You're lying to us. So that's the first thing to remember. (laughs) This is some sort of trick. It doesn't make any sense. Because there's something you're not... I feel like... Even the things you're saying that are about... That are like, oh, I don't like... That like, you're saying... You're making it sound like it's really long. Uh, The -hmm. book's long. The book's long as heck. Uh, Saying that like, oh, like, certain characters aren't that... Like, dude, Strider is even more of a sketch in the fucking book. Like they added context to his character, especially well, in Fellowship of the Ring. I, okay, Wait, so I fair think, points. Let's start I with think, those. I think I got it. Okay, I think <laughs> I got it. I know you, Alex, and I know the fact that you hate watching young people succeed, and the fact okay. that they that took they made Frodo instead of a forty-five-year-old man, <laughs> a late-stage teenager. It yeah. drives you insane. That's it. You the fact that Elijah Wood is 20 and doesn't look a day over eight is bothersome to me. Uh, I, he, okay. But so here's my main thing. I, I spent a lot of time looking in a mirror and asking myself why I can't do this. And the fact that it's long is different when it's a book, obviously, because right. a book yes, is yes, my yes. own time. A sure, movie sure. is demanding real time. Yes. And so Wait, I can what get the through. fuck did you just say? A, a movie is like... I, I, a movie is it's, it makes sense. Uh, a fixed no. amount of time and a book is however much time I want to give it as often as I want to give it. I, like I can watch a movie. Like if I watched a movie over three years, you'd think I was weird. But if I read a book over that long of a period of time, That's I'm just fine. a slow reader. Yeah. 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 But so I here's think- okay. And like, okay. So here's what it is. I thought a lot about it. And I think you are on to something, which is uh, about halfway through the movie. I was like, I, I think the main thing here is that I think Elijah Wood does is just, is is awful to look at and um (laughs) i um uh not in normal life in this movie so he has these piercing blue eyes and then the way the color is like so intense in this movie makes his eyes like deeply unsettling and then not only does he have these weird eyes but this three-hour movie two and a half hours of it are spent with elijah wood rolling his eyes back in his head and whimpering he spends so much time crying and being disturbed that it's just a, it's just such an unpleasant like for like I want to go on a fun adventure and he's not on an adventure he is like just so sad all the time and 
I like when whenever there's dang, something dangerous near, he like his eyes rolls back and when when he's in the shadow world, he's like yeah, he falls down a bunch. Um, yeah. Whenever somebody is talking to him, he starts to freak out. He gets well. Stabbed. Why do you think? Why he do you think that is? Again. Why does that? Why do you he think just, that happens? Does it just happen for no reason? They just love the look of uh, Elijah Wood <laughs> falling on the ground, so they just worked it oh into every scene. Why is that happening? Well, you think? Well, so um, the reason it's happening is because I think. Frodo is a bad character. So that was the second half of the movie. I figured out it's not entirely Elijah's fault. It's that Frodo Baggins is the worst hero in movie history. And wow. I the role is just like so the the premise of the role. Like I think I honestly get it. Like the reason why this exists is because a hobbit is so simple that they are less corruptible by this power ring because they do not crave well, power. That's, well, that's like the logic within the story. I mean, like but, for us as the audience, like what also, is the purpose but of that? Also, your premise is flawed because like two thirds of the hobbits who encounter the ring are corrupted by it. So, But not nearly to the extent that the men are. Yeah. Uh, Gollum is way more corrupted than anybody by 100,000%. Well, no, so, but it took him. It took him way longer for that to happen to him. He milked a guy within thirty seconds of getting it. If you watch the sequel, hey, let's, let's not get lost in the weeds. Because the yeah, point, um, actually, within the text, is that hobbits are not powerful enough for whether it to matter whether they are corrupted or not. Yeah, but the, the yeah, I mean, there's a reason why Sermon didn't make like. 19 rings of hobbits he just doesn't give a shit they're just not important so that makes him in like a vessel that, that can be part of like the hobbits are an interesting role in this world well also it's the but, the bigger reason is the metaphor of like in this world of giant monsters and wizards and man and elves even the smallest what we think of exactly like you said fuck the hobbits the most insignificant of all of us can be the biggest change in the world is why yes. the hobbits are the main thrust of this film. Yeah, so I get that. I understand that premise. Um, the problem is that I, after three hours, could not tell you one trait or characteristic of Frodo Baggins besides the fact that he is a hobbit. What are what are Frodo's likes and dislikes? What drives him? What are his <laughs> wants? What is his dramatic change? What would he be doing today if he wasn't carrying a ring to Mordor? I don't think we know. We know nothing about at the beginning. They're like, well, you know, Bilbo. Remember Bilbo? Not him. Here's a child. And then you go with this child forever. And he like is like, I guess I'm taking this ring now. Through what? What was his inner battle to decide if he's taking the ring? <laughs> he wishes he didn't have it, but he still has it. Like the whole this adventure is well, thrust afraid, upon a character. Right? I, I, yeah, I, I, yeah I think for some he's, he's got his eyes rolled back in his head for three hours. I, he's terrified. I think right, he cares exactly. about his friends. I think he misses the Shire and the simple life he led. I think he yeah. cares about... Alex, okay, we go into these kind of loops a lot when you kind of just, maybe justifiably, sometimes not say, like, the audience is with you. I really uh-huh. want you to think about what you're ta- what you're saying right now. And how angry. And there are people who just dislike these movies. That's fine. I get it. Like, I get not being in the fantasy. There are genres yeah. that don't do it for me. Um, right. But for to be someone who's, like, so close and then is picking the most nonsensical reasons. Like, it's... It's fun to talk to you, but I feel so bad for the people <laughs> yelling at you into a speaker that you can't hear them. So I just really want you to think about the millions. Uh, let's be honest, not millions, but the the 
millions millions okay let's get big viral enough for sure on reddit hey you want to hear an idiot talk about lord of the rings for 40 minutes um just think about what you're doing to the people who are listening to this so so that's that's one direction we could go yeah okay okay hunter what do you think so i think that you you are sort of you're you're there's kind of a bad th- faith thing happening here, but um, there are a lot of main character protagonists that I feel like you could have a lot of the same complaints about. Mm-hmm. It's just that what we're talking about is a um, oh, I want to find a nice word to use, but I the only the only word I have is trope, which is not a nice word um, of just a character of your protagonist being a fish out of water style character. I think you can make an argument that like Luke Skywalker similarly doesn't have a lot of besides being the hero in a story what is what is luke like you know yeah Um, i agree i mean i I feel like though i mean obviously star wars is so heavily um, uh, based on this series that it's an easy comparison to make well Well, i think they're just both based on the same roots which is like old storytelling stuff well yeah but i think also george lucas read these books and liked them sure yeah yeah yeah. Yeah, yeah. i so um i i mean like yeah the white wizard is called i've got a white cape i mean like that's well i mean the same characters anyway the point is um i uh i think that there are other movies you could say that about and the things that those movies do to cover up the fact that they didn't they forgot to write a character for their main character is that they make the adventure fun and this adventure has occasional fun moments but by and large is not fun it's so much hiding from things that make chalkboard fingernail noises for the first chunk the huge part of the first is just like him hiding from the dementors and it's just a scratchy Uh terrible sound all right and then and then after that like we don't get to see a lot of cool fighting until they're in the mines. Uh, that like the the party just goes through a lot of like really bad, sad uh, adventures. And if it was like super fun, that'd be one thing. But then it's like we go through all like we spend so much time building up this adventure of them getting together as a fellowship. It's like halfway through the movie when the fellowship joins each other, and then they go a, like a, on a long walk. It's a lot of walking, and then finally, well, what are they, they supposed get to, to a, do? Drive. Yeah. What the well, fuck that's do you my, want? Okay, look, that's my pitch is Lord of the Rings, but right. they have cards. That's okay. my next idea Alex, that I think would solve a lot of this. Alex, I literally can't do this anymore. We're going <laughs> to have to move on. I was like, okay, first off, I just want to say one thing, and then I want to bring up a different point. One thing, if you want to watch a Lord of the Rings movie with giant, epic, fun action sequence, congratulations. I got two more Lord of the Rings movies. You can't you can do that. You but can't. No, it's no, not fair. No, Alex, stop it. Okay, <laughs> you're arguing in bad faith, and I'm literally getting very frustrated with this. So, I understand that you're frustrated, I but I just, okay. So all I the things you can go. accuse me of, bad faith is not it. This no. is a hundred percent in good. Okay, I told but, you but, I tried, so, and I did. But but there's so many things to try and address. With I mean, essentially, we were like, oh, what do you think of this movie? And you're like, well, it's just all bad. If you can, you get more. Can we pick some sort of specific point that we could actually kind of go back and forth on? I I feel like we're going to go around in circles with this. And I want to (laughs) try to segue into something that's a little bit more constructive of maybe Mm -hmm. if you're not going to appreciate what is certainly on the screen 
in front of it. I sort of okay. a big part of why I would even want to talk about these movies, especially in a film uh, class sort of setting like this one is, mm-hmm. is I would mm-hmm. really like to spend some time to talk about the production of the Lord of the Rings. Sure, and yeah, some yeah. of the really really cool stuff that happened. And I want to know because so we've talked about this last few weeks, and every time I ask you if you've noticed like these sort of techniques, you scuff and say, "Of course I didn't." Right. Um, but I really want to know, one, we're going to have that point when you kind of stop and go, oh, I wonder how they did that. Or look at this camera technique. And I think Peter mm-hmm. Jackson is such a fascinating director because he comes from very low-brow type of films. And some of those techniques carry over to him. Tell, this, me, tell me more of a story about that. What was Peter well, Jackson up to before this? Well, I mean, Peter Jackson's before this was, you know, uh, the film that kind of got him this was Heavenly Creatures, which is a true story about these New Zealand uh, teenage girls who killed one of their moms. And it was kind of a big Oscar play. It's like one of Kate Winslet's first movies. Uh, and that's what kind of put him on the map as a serious director. But before that, he made a movie about uh, Muppets that fuck. Literally, Meet the feeble. Meet the <laughs> uh, he made one of the most violent what? zombie movies ever made called uh, Dead Alive. Uh, and he also made the fantastically underrated Frighteners starring Michael J. Fox. Uh, okay. But yeah, Fun. definitely not the guy you look at and go, yeah, let's give him $200 million and make three yeah, movies crazy. simultaneously. Uh, but he has, you know, if you especially, you don't get too much of it in this one. But, I mean, you do a little bit, but some of his weird, like, camera angles and weird, like, slow-mo zooms that he does a lot. He does a lot, especially in the sequels. But, you know, this movie, this movie trilogy in general is, like, one, completely set the template for modern fantasy. If you think of, like, fantasy movies before this, they all were, like, legend. Or I'm trying to think of another, like, one that's, like, very... Or like Conan the Barbarian or something like that. Things that didn't feel real. And, you know, Peter Jackson's main thing, he said to all the production crews on these movies, was he wants us to feel more like Braveheart, not like Legend. He wants us to feel like it's being pulled from real history. And it just set an entire aesthetic tone uh, that is, like, so copied, so influential that it's, like... It's hard yeah, to think cool. about, but like in, when this movie came out in what, 2000, 2001, there was nothing that ever looked like this before in terms of the scale, this production. Uh, there's so many fun, besides obviously stuff like Gollum and you know stuff like the giant CG crowds that they invented with like the massive technology, like that's the name of the program they use. My mm-hmm. favorite thing, and you get a lot of it in this one, is the uh, moving force perspective shots. Like, I thought you would at least really dig this kind of stuff. Like, so you know how Force... Where was it happening? Okay, so you know how Force Perspective perspective works, right? Like, you have something up front, something back, so... Yeah, yeah, so you have something in front of you that's a different size and scale than something behind it, so the illusion of depth. Yes, so they've been doing that effect for years, but you've never been able to move the camera while you were doing that because it Uh, would uh, throw off the thing. So... The Lord of the Rings movies have a lot of little people and a lot of big people, right? Yes. Uh, so oh, that's what you mean. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Okay. So there's like, you know, they, they shoot the hoblets or like... Uh, the hoblets? The hoblets. <laughs> or G- Everybody wants to shoot a hoblet. <laughs> Gimli, John Reese Davis' character, is actually the tallest of the entire cast. And he yeah. plays one of the shortest. 
right? Right. So the way, especially in the first movie, you get a lot of really cool uh, moving force perspective shots. You can find a lot of great footage on this. But what they wanted to do was, so sometimes they have, you know, like, the actors just kneeling down. Sometimes they have scale doubles. So, like, little people or really tall people, they would build multiple versions of the sets at different scales. But let's yeah. say, like, so the opening cart ride when... um. Uh, Gandalf and Frodo are in the coat together and it's driving down and you can see him at different mm-hmm, scales. Mm-hmm. The way they do do that shot or the way they do the shots at the dining table with them is they have a forced perspective shot with the camera on a moving dolly and the person who's little on a second moving dolly that moves simultaneously. So yeah. as like if Gandalf's sitting at the table and Frodo's sitting like, like five feet back from him but he looks like he's you know, right a foot away, but really small. As the camera moves forward, Frodo continues to move back. It's such a crazy thing if you actually see the way it was shot and just yeah, the very work clever. and technical expertise that had to go into every single one of these things. I mean, I've I've mentioned it before a million times on this podcast, but like shooting a movie is a miracle to get a good yes. one. Shooting three movies simultaneously is one of the most mind-boggling, impressive works. So, like, that's where a lot of, like, kind of my um, fascination with these movies are. And then on top of that, I do really like the characters. I do really like the world. I like the story that it tells. Um, so I just, I think that there is so much that you can, that I hope you tr- you can appreciate and dig in and respect, rather than saying they should have drove everywhere which does not well so you have you got a couple problems here one is that i am um making uh trying to understand my own feelings in good faith and then the other thing is that i'm also trying to be fun to listen to and so (laughs) i don't think that you would it would be fair for you to interpret the idea that they have cars as being like a serious suggestion for making the movie better although i do think in my in all fantasy it's kind of a lot of walking um, and that is a definitely a, a, an issue. I just don't know it. how you. I mean, I guess how do you how do you get past? That's how we got to the car thing. Is how do you get? Well, past I really it? liked when uh, the giant uh, giant race of eagles carried uh, um, uh, Gandalf back. That was really nice of them. Really yeah. sped things up. Um, that was nice. So that is anyway, like the yeah. the old the oldest Lord of the Rings take is the why didn't they take the eagles all the way to Mordor? Oh, is it really? That's a great point. I haven't even thought of that. I just said I liked it, but that's a great idea. Um, uh, I, so all, okay. So here's my question about all of that, which is that although that is incredibly clever, I did have, there's a, there's something about it that I, like, I do feel like the movie is like slightly visually off putting a little bit. Um, what, uh, what's the, um, uh, uncanny valley there's a bit of uncanny valley to this movie for me and i wonder if in it's the, from that in the cg or not in the cg no just a... in like every i know but like i'm using it as a metaphor but basically just like in order to make these things happen enough things are not behaving the way they would if just these two people were in the same room together that it feels a tiny bit off and that's i i felt especially in that opening cart scene i was like this just feels weird like watching those two play together just feels off. And I wonder if that's part of it is that all the different perspectives are like, yeah, you've tricked my eyes, but my brain knows something is wrong. That's the uncanny Hmm. part. Yeah. uh, I, I don't, I don't know. I, I, I would say that it's 
all, I mean, especially the interior shots of, would you say that you felt that throughout the movie or are we talking about just specifically the beginning with the cart? Like even the stuff the in Bag End? The first time and then there was like, um, well, the Bag End, everyone's like the same size too. So except for the giant, I felt like, I felt like I felt it in Bilbo's house, um, not around yeah, yeah, during end. the party. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, sorry. I, but well, but the party is outside Bag End, so I thought that's what you meant. Oh, sure, sure. Um, uh, there were a couple other times I felt it. One thing is also that was very that's very off putting to me is that their feet are too big. And I know this sounds like I'm being so petty, but this this is part of the idea of shooting it like this is that you can make it look like their bodies are different heights, but their feet then, if you shoot it, are gonna, like they look disproportionate. But they're actually making their feet yeah. big. They, they're wearing prosthetic big feet. Oh, that's so that's weird. What the, feet the Hobbit's are... feet look like? That's okay. Well, when I read it, I did not picture their feet as being the size of duck flippers. It's so big. Yeah, that they were feet prosthetics. That is a yeah. weird decision. Well, again, yeah. that's take it up. Feet. Take it up with Tolkien and all of his illustrators. That's how. No, no, no. we're getting, we're getting to the real feet. meat of it now. No, let's yeah. let, let the, the feet are big. Um, <laughs> I, I'm glad we're finally saying it. And I'm going to dock it a couple stars for the big feet. And in fact, yeah, one star for each feet. So we're down to three stars from the from the perfect five star review. Um, what 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 other uh, what are some other things that stick out to you besides these big old feet? OK, um, the replay of the finger with the ring getting cut off. We see seven times, which is kind of a lot. Um, it's kind and- of a pretty big moment. And I don't I think like a moment, but I feel like after the third one, I was like, I remember what happened. Yeah. Um, so okay, we do see that a lot. Less, less f- yeah. Less of that shot. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. I'm just trying I to feel, build the, the list of it now. Probably the, the, so I, I do think like legitimately and one could, if they were responding to me in good faith, uh, take the consideration that actually the character of Frodo Baggins might not be as uh, detailed as one would enjoy. Um, uh-huh. And then the other, I think probably the, like the hardest part for me is like two fifteen in where I've like already feel like it's kind of a burden and I am like not super into it. And then we go into elf land and everything has this like um, glowy quality and it just gets, it's such a slow moment and it lasts for so long. And it's all of this while I'm like, we're driving towards the finish and they're like, but wait, how about we take an intermission and there's this long intermission and it's very boring. And that's the part where the movie, like really, that was the part to me where I was like, I, it's not just that I don't enjoy this. This feels like the old days of read and weep where my homework is burdensome. Mm-hmm. And that was like, that was where it felt like, or, or strong coffee. If we're doing this in the film style, that's where I was like, this movie is coffee. This is not soda anymore. Yeah. Um, so besides the Lothlorien thing, uh, which uh, I'll I'll give you ain't ain't the most exciting sequence of the movie. So what if uh, what if we just give you that Frodo sucks? What about all of the other characters and maybe the whole rest of the movie? I feel like there's a lot you're leaving out that I'm curious as to whether you dislike that stuff too, or it just doesn't make an impression. Because like for example, the way the way that you're talking about the characters, you're like, well, Frodo sucks. So obviously, I'm kind of have I don't have to talk about characters anymore. But I feel like I couldn't if I had to just pick a movie off the top of me dome that had that was chock full of characters that I know a lot about. Lord of the Rings would be a pretty pretty good um, you know uh, movie to pick for 
for that I mean, task. What I like, so I feel like, uh, yeah, like Strider is super fun, and I like that they bring along a guy who clearly shouldn't be there. That was fun. Um, uh, set up some nice difficulties. Obviously, um, I think. How that, many characters uh, in the movie do you think you could describe with like a lot of detail, like, and like kind of nail like what they're about and what their thing is? If you had to guess, like, um. I think three. <laughs> I mean, I feel like I feel like I've str- like like I've uh, I've got a good handle on Strider and Boromir and uh, uh, Gandalf mm-hmm. and Bilbo, but that's because I have a lot of baggage with Bilbo. Like I feel like Bilbo and I were friends from before, so that's different. Um, so I don't really count him. Um, but I oh, feel okay. like those so characters. <laughs> What? I like how even in, in this critique, you're you're mentioning another character and then not counting him. Why? Well, Why sure, okay, great. Well, just like, so, I mean, I really liked The Hobbit when I read it. Uh, and I like the, the one of maybe, maybe this is the deep uh, pain that is like caused the rest of this. But just like finishing The Hobbit and being like, I love this. I love this style. I love this author. I can't I can't wait. There's three huge books in this series. I can't wait. And then the beginning of this book is like, Bilbo is gone to begin with is like such a disappointment for like, I thought I got to hang out with this character I like and go on more adventures. And they were like, no, we've replaced him with his idiot nephew. I mean, I would say that his his parts of the movie though are substantial and really super interesting. Yeah. I I mean, I think he was super great. So, okay, we'll count him even though I did have a previous encounter with him that gave me, so I don't know if it's fair. I'm trying to be fair. I'm trying to be fair. I'm trying to be fair. I just mean the movie um, could have because the way that it feels like we're kind of having it both ways a little bit. The movie is dumb with characters unless they get it right, in which case that actually doesn't have anything to do with the movie and has to do with the book. No, no, but I'm just saying sometimes, I, I, that's not well, what I'm, hold saying. Up, hold what up. I'm saying. Sometimes it's all the movie's fault, but the book doesn't get any blame. So like the book has a lot of really crappy pacing. Oh, really I'm fine crappy. with that. Yeah, no, I'm I'm all about that's what I said. I actually feel like that could be from in the book, although also in the book, the pacing is just so different that you also spend a lot more time with characters because it's a thousand pages of book. But so, OK, so Bilbo, uh, I like a lot. Uh, and uh, and actually, I like I would almost say Saruman. He's a fun dude. Um, I get <laughs> I get Saruman. Um Yeah. It's a, yeah, well, I wish uh, I put, wish I wish you could have told Christopher Lee that to his face. As a description of his work, like <laughs> that he's like fun, just, yeah, like you know, like hey, a, how I can wish he not be fun? He has a stick <laughs> that matches his house. He like designed his stick yeah. to match the side, the top That's of his house. Fun, That's a I fun guess. dude. Yeah. yeah, and his yeah. and his uh, like as a character who was like, look, I've been good for a long time, and I I I don't think it's gonna work anymore. So I'm gonna go be uh, a lieutenant to the bad dude. Is is very interesting and cool. Do you know, um, can I just pop in to yeah. tell you my favorite Christopher Lee fact of all time? Yeah, please. Um, I thought it was so, Alan Lee. No, Christopher Alan, Lee. Christopher Lee is the actor. Alan Lee was the oh, illustrator. Sorry. Uh, Christopher Lee, uh, there's a cut scene that's in the extended edition of Return of the King when uh, Solomon gets got, gets stabbed in the back. Uh-huh. And uh, Peter Jackson was kind of talking to him about how he wanted to play the role and sort of acted out how he would sound after he got stabbed. And Christopher Lee said, uh, when you stab someone in the back to motor them, that's not how they sound. Um, <laughs> and the reason why he knew that, because I don't know no. if you know this about Christopher Lee, he was a assassin for the British military during World War II. 
He has no. personally murdered several Nazis. <laughs> oh, crazy. Great actor, cool guy, Nazi killer, former assassin, Christopher okay. Lee fucking rules. All right. Yeah, okay, he fucks. I'm into that. Um, and I like that that whole setup. I think that's cool. I, I mean, I like we get no uh, Pretty Boy Elf, and we get no Ginger Mountain Man in this movie. We don't really learn anything about either of them. And I difficult. would argue we don't really learn anything about either of them throughout the three movies, but not every character. Well, not every character in a story has the same purpose, you know, some characters are there. Yeah. Uh, And they're hanging out, hanging out. How their friendship grows. That is the hope. And you need, you need a tank and a ranged weapon. I get it. It makes sense. Um, but yeah, so like, those are the characters that you asked. Those are the characters that I think I know. I don't feel like I know the hobbits at all. And that's, there's a lot of them. Um, and well, now that breaks my heart because Sam, yeah. I'm a big Sam guy. Yeah, I, I feel Sam like Sam has character. Sam ends this movie like the last scene. He's like, "Also, I am here," and you're like, "Oh, okay, you might be interesting." Um, but I don't feel like I feel like we don't even get like a sitcom amount of character from him until the last scene. So I feel like maybe Sam is grown in your heart from the other movies, but not in no. this one. No, no but I, uh, it's, just, yeah. it's just hard to discuss this with you because it's so painful. Um, yeah, I'm sorry. I don't mean to hurt you. I told no, it's you okay. I just want to be like, a real boy yeah, so no, badly, <laughs> and I don't feel like you're helping me. Oh, I'm trying uh, to get help. angry I'm with to me. It you out. have to be patient with me. I don't think you're helping yourself. So, here. so I what, think that's <laughs> the biggest problem. Tried so hard. I can't so, just lie to you. So, what about like, like for example, I ju- I just think that this is what's so puzzling about it is you'll say something like. Well, obviously, there's no Sam in the movie. And then just my brain goes to like every scene with Sam and all the character stuff, all the character work they're doing uh, in the movie. And I just is it that you didn't like that stuff or is it that you didn't see that stuff? Because it's like I can think of there is the part the part with Sam that I don't like is whenever they do the very early no homo part with him. Where they're like, hey, he wants to dance with this lady, just so you know, he is straight, <laughs> and we need to define yeah. that early. But yeah. uh, Sam is nosy. Uh, Sam, uh, and he gets himself into trouble. That's how he actually gets into the the whole thing in the first place, is he's spying on uh, on Frodo and Gandalf. Yeah. Uh, he ultimately, I think, has one of the strongest arcs of the first movie, because it becomes all about uh, him kind of being the one that, feels like they're least invested in the quest and the one that most wants to go home is the one that makes the choice to go the the furthest basically yeah. with Frodo because he he has to cuz he pinky sweared. Well, he doesn't have to actually. That's he's not like required. He's not going to be like arrested if he doesn't. <laughs> in fact, he'll just yeah. get to go home, which is what yeah. he wants to do. Uh, and a lot of the movie, I, I mean, Frodo has a very similar uh, a pull of just like these little hobbits would rather be home. Like, what are they what are they doing in this story, basically? And uh, and I think what I like most about Fellowship of the Ring uh, over the other two, because this is actually my favorite one of the three, uh, mm. is that that so like when you have a trilogy, it's a three act structure with a three act structure in each act. Right. Mm -hmm. So, and, and I think fellowship of the ring is, it would be useful to even teach this idea of that. Even though fellowship of the ring is just the first act of the overall story, it has to have three acts as well. Yeah. Yeah. But the fact that it, 
perfectly to me feels like the end of the third act of this movie when Sam and Frodo decide to leave the fellowship, but also the idea of going off on your own adventure is commonly the end of the first act of any story is structurally kind of amazing. Um, It's it's even more amazing when you think about the, if you know the books well and know how they were adapted the way each movie begins and ends, if you look at it, like the entire end of this movie is not in the book, right? All right, of the yeah, stuff yeah. with Boromir and them splitting up, that's all at the beginning of Two Towers. So like mm. the way they, you know, all of the stuff with Shelob is in Two Towers, but it's in the third movie. The way they really oh, kind yeah, of broke Shelob. and moved around so many of these elements to create like a better natural. Yeah three yeah. acts within each movie it's there's a lot you can take from like the uh, adaptation from these films so there's another so actually, element so i was I really interested in that question so and just to just to show you maybe this helps a uh, good faith effort which is that i just finished reading a book on screenwriting the other day and so while i was watching this i was like i bet this is a very popular book i bet a lot of people who are interested in this book on screenwriting have adapted the structure discussed in this book to this movie and i read probably 10 different people trying to figure out the structure of this movie and how it broke down into the structure, the structure of movies in general. And it, they were all vastly different and none of them worked well as a structural breakdown of the movie. So every one I read, I was like, that just felt like each of these moments that I'm looking for to feel emotionally satisfied are not here and are moved around. What was their argument? What was the thing? Well, they were just like, in order to say like, okay, so this is the, these are the parts of the story that normally exist in a lot of classic structural movies. Um, where does that take place in this movie? And they're like, well, one person is like, it's like in the first 10 minutes, another person thinks it's in the third third hour. And then- Oh, well, that's uh, okay. First of all, well, those structural arguments, that happens with everything. No one can well, agree no, on I, even I, what I'm an not, act is. They weren't disagreeing about it. They were just different interpretations. And when I read them, none of them, every one of them felt like they were forcing really hard to get any of these satisfying emotional moments from structure to apply to this movie. Because it feels like, like what it, what it felt like to me from trying to understand people trying to understand its structure from a writing standpoint was it's not hitting emotional beats for me the way satisfying movies frequently do. And I feel like that's how I feel it like when I experience it and I feel like it's dragging. It's because we're not actually having character growth and action happen on any kind of timetable that I'm used to. Maybe? Is there like a part of the movie that you could cite as an example of this? Like uh, something, something well, tangible. a story about my can... homework, not so much about like the actual answers from that homework. I don't remember. I didn't write it down. I wasn't planning on telling you that. This was a secret for just me. Oh, uh, okay. Um, no, I don't remember. Um, uh, but yeah, it just like, the, the, you have to understand where this is coming from is it's not like I set out to prove that this character is bad. It's that I didn't like I it. You did prove I it. I tried so. to like it. Yeah, it was just an accident that it happened. Uh, <laughs> I didn't I didn't like it and I wanted to like it. I, like, I came in as enthusiastic uh, as I could be for a movie and then I kept uh, being uh, frustrated by it and being being bored by it and and being uh, put upon by having to watch it. And so I was trying to figure out what it is. So the fact that I think like I don't care about what happens to Frodo, that's just a guess as to why I'm not responding to these adventures he's going on. Yeah. So it's it's a kind of categorical, like a complete dismissal of the main thrust of the story itself. 
So really, how could any any of the elements be more than just, I mean, I guess it's just like, might as well be I mean, a screensaver. No, it's an autopsy. It's like, I, like, after this, like, it's an autopsy of my f- emotional reaction to the movie. It was just trying to figure out why did this happen. And those, are, so I'm just guessing here is that I think, and once I, once I thought, uh, like, about the, my problems with Frodo, it, like, made a bunch of things fall in line where I was, fr- and why I was frustrated with different parts. And so that was a helpful framework. And I, yeah, so that's why I think that's like a good guess. Mm-hmm. But it's mostly just like the whole like the movie didn't fuck and I'm trying to understand why. Yeah. And like understanding like so and like so if you say like the 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 point that this is like such a revolution in the way of filming a movie like this, super interesting to me. Um but also not an emotional thing that I can control. Yeah, exactly. Like if I didn't watch a lot of fantasy before it, and then find this as a revelation. If it's just like, this is the first fantasy I watched as a child and it was boring. then I was like, maybe this isn't what I want it to be. So when you read Lord of the Rings, does the character of Frodo in the text, does that character work for you? Or do you think, is it, I'm just trying to see. I mean, I was a teenager, so it's been a while. It might be Mm -hmm. interesting to go back to it. I mean, I did find him to be a little bit sniveling. I found him a little, was a little annoyed by him at the time, but there's so much, cool shit going on that i i guess i didn't wasn't as upset by it but that's just yeah see that's something i don't understand because as someone who's likes the books but really enjoys the movie and i understand why people who love the books like hate the movies but i've always thought of that as because they toned these books into like when like when people say i hate the lord of the rings movies because they turned these books into whiz bang action movies that move super fast and have like so much humor and levity to it like that i understand what i don't understand Uh is you saying essentially the opposite like i am amazed i don't know that i'm saying the opposite i'm saying i'm not i'm not sure i'm saying the opposite but i'm amazed by the amount of character stuff and interesting action set pieces that were created whole cloth and the the the, the removal of just you know, like I, I like the Lord of the Rings. I could never go back to reread them just because of the amount of like songs in them and yeah. the amount of like naming. The song. And that's the cool thing about books is you can just be like, oh, that's a song. Turn page and it's over. Mm. Whereas in this, it's like, oh, um, the fairy lighting uh, elf scene. Got to sit through it. It's all here. It's all happening. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I, I think it, it could have been that one of the reasons why I didn't love it at the time was because I'd read the book and it was taking away things that I liked in the book or changing it in a way and it was not how I ooh, pictured ooh. it. What? Oh, what like what? But this time, this, I'm saying could be. I don't remember. It's been 20 years. Um, but today, I don't remember the books much at all. I just remember, like, this, that's why I thought this was my chance is like, because something like, it's happened to me with Harry Potter a little bit is that I read the books and then immediately watched the movies. And so each time it was like, oh, this could be probably a cool movie, but I'm like thinking about the book the whole time. So I this is what was like, mm-hmm. this is my chance to watch this 20 years separated from my reading experience. The and main, maybe that'll make it way better. And it, it didn't. The main difference there is that none of those are good. Uh, except, <laughs> except for the third Harry Potter movie and maybe the sixth one. But all of those um, movies are bad. So well, we don't have time for that. We got to wrap up on this. I don't feel like we did an awesome job. I feel like no. Anthony doesn't like me anymore. And that's not a great way for me to spend an hour. I think no, it was I... just hard to figure out a way in uh, that. Well, here's OK. Well, here's what I would like is um, I was really enjoying uh, you talking about the forced perspective. And so 
I also just like get the good taste back in people's mouths before we wrap up. I just want each of you to just take comments and talk about your things you like about it and how you enjoy it and what it's meant to you. So, I mean, Hunter, the fact that I was like hurting your feelings talking about this stuff, <laughs> tell me like what what yeah, you so like, what are some fun times you've had I, with it? I would say this is probably one of the most formative movies I've ever seen. Uh, without a doubt, it made me interested in filmmaking because of uh, I had the extended editions. And the uh, the extra materials on the extended editions are some of for me, it was like the drug that got me into how movies are made. A lot of the stuff Anthony was talking about, about forced perspective and stuff. That's like that's just stuff I've been thinking about since what I was like 14, I guess, when these movies were coming out. Um, and also, I think on a on a in a really deep way. Um, I've always felt like I was lucky to have a very tight knit group of um, all male, which is a weird thing to note in, I think, a normal context. But in the context of Lord of the Rings, I feel like Lord of the Rings has a really good job of teaching men how to be friends. And Mm. it's not um, that there there isn't this worry of there's just a lot of media where and, and believe me, obviously, I noted that this movie does a little bit of the no homo stuff Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but by and large there isn't actually that much of it and it does show a lot of male companionship and even physicality that i had not seen in a movie before and i've always felt like me and my very tightest group of friends that i've had since high school since we all kind of bonded around these movies have kind of emulated and in a way was sort of a weird example for us as far as how friendship could could work or or could look like and that it was safe and okay for it to look like that when so much media before this movie uh portrays male friendship in a very like it either has to be homoeroticized or it's about competition and yeah anyways yeah i mean i would even go as far as to say that uh the sequels kind of get into more of that especially like the Legolas Gimli Moda competition. I'm not a sure. huge fan of. No, I don't love but, that. But that's why a big part of why I think this movie has it. I mean, I do want to address the no homo thing that it, that is there to set up the very last scene of the trilogy. Like that mm-hmm. is important within the context of the overall series. Yeah. Um, because you you know if you just had Sam marry some girl at the end you never saw before, it would be that would even be weirder. even worse. Yeah. 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 Um. But yeah, I, I'm right there with Hunter. I, I would say these are easily some of the most formative movies to me. And like I, I'm not like someone who is like devout. I don't have posters up on my wall or anything like that. I really like these movies. I have I think especially because they around the time they were released was the time I was really getting into film. They were big Christmas movies. So I really associate them with like getting together with family and watching them mm-hmm. during the holidays. Mm-hmm. I have a lot of positive stuff towards them. Um, I think that in a lot of ways, they've been like anything that's super popular and influential. I really hate what these movies have kind of done to the aesthetics of fantasy in a certain way. Like I think the how much these have been ripped off and emulated has kind of hurt a lot of franchises that would have been better in a more fantastical setting. Um, but I don't think that these films owe to blame. Uh, I definitely think that these movies did ruin Peter Jackson. Yeah. Because uh, <laughs> he never quite made anything this good again. 
uh, and it's really sort of taken it to his head that he, you know, is this innovator and has just kind of really struggled with bloat and unnecessary use of CG and uh, yeah. things like that. Uh, but, you know, a huge part of why I love You're making movies, it fun. You're sticking to the fun part. Uh, um, a huge part of why <laughs> I love these movies is, like, when you do watch them and you can just see the amount of work that went into every single costume, every single uh, yeah. set, the miniatures in these movies are gorgeous. Told you I loved the miniature part. Yeah. Um, there's so much good stuff, but I, I just really enjoy these movies. I think they're fun. I think that like I there's so much that I I like. The fact that another thing that I think a lot of fantasy movies get wrong is something that I, every time I rewatch these movies, I'm blown away by is how little they kind of hold your hand with the universe and the mythology to it. Like there is certainly some, but most movies that would dive you into this type of universe would put so much more exposition, so much more explaining. Uh, and these films really let you kind of like just figure it out through context and imagery. Yeah. And yeah. I really expect the fact that Peter Jackson and Fran Walsh and Philippa Boyles, who did an incredible job writing and adapting these films, really, I feel like, respect their audience, which is, I think is one of the things that makes these so successful and universal is that they're not bogged down in stuff that is, like, you know, filled with anachronisms. There is stuff, like, you know, I mean, there's if you want to, like, dog on lord of the rings there's definitely stuff not, you know nope, stuff not, like not, not this segment i just want to say stuff like uh you know meets back on the menu boys is a line that i will never like stop it's in my head forever my head. yeah just like what the fuck does that even mean <laughs> why do they say that yeah why what restaurants are these urukai going yeah, to it makes a reference to menus do they have yeah. like men like places where they go sit down and just eat <laughs> Yeah, like they and also they were just born. How do they yeah. know it's already? Yeah, it just doesn't like the shit like that. That is like yeah. I think really kind of I scratched my head at. But overall, when I watch these movies, just the texture and the look, and also I mean, like we haven't had a chance to talk about this, but like Howard Shore's incredible score. Yeah, insanely, I mean, composing over like nine movies nine hours worth of movies uh music for in just like every place you know the shire theme mortals theme everything has like such iconic music that you can hear and just is so recognizable we we should do an episode where you guys talk more about like that's kind of focused on the use of music in film because you both mention so often the score or the soundtrack of movies and i notice at that point that i did not like i couldn't tell you i couldn't hum anything for you i don't know i didn't know if i noticed it like i'm sure it feels a way without me being conscious of it but i'd like to hear more about that we need to wrap up so um uh, i think that is a good place to leave it with uh some more good tastes in your mouth and not all the bad stuff so yeah. um we're so, gonna take a very sharp left turn here in our mailbag and then we're gonna wrap things up so, so if you're listening at home you know I'm sorry, you know, wash that blood out of your mouth from biting your tongue off listening yeah. to Alex rant about these movies. <laughs> Not ranting, uh, just trying to help, trying to figure it out, trying to be a real boy. Anyway, we're going to do a mailbag and come back. Mm-hmm. 
All right, so we had a bunch of stuff in the mailbag, and I think for time, I'm going to just do the first one, and then we'll come to the rest of them next week. But um, a couple people reached out to offer what I like to call on the show, not corrections, just interesting information no one has to feel bad about, um, <laughs> specifically about Bubba Gump shrimp. So this was just an offhanded comment uh, a little bit ago about the restaurants, the Bubba Gump Shrimp Company, um, and whether they came before or after the movies. And uh, a few people wanted to just chime in to help us uh, to understand and not feel bad that um, they definitely were created as an offshoot of the movie Forrest Gump. That's so they did- so wild to me. Isn't it wild? And so um, specifically, Jay, number one, wrote in to say, if you check your wiki hole, you'll find out that Bubba Gump uh, was spawned by the movie, not the movie capitalizing on something existing already. And thus brings us to a, another issue of check out Alex's wiki hole. Um, so the Bubba Gump Shrimp Company uh, was a restaurant chain uh, started in 1996 as a joint venture between a local restaurant company and Viacom. Oh, God. And Viacom was like, hey, we think this could work. Uh, Paramount at the time it was like, we, should, we think this could work. We could make a movie or we could make a, a, a restaurant out of this thing from our movie. Uh, and it did. And they have 40 locations of it now. Um, and it, I've never been, have you guys been, you guys haven't been, no, no, of course not. Um, the, sometime I might go cause I'm curious, but, um, the restaurant offers dishes named after the characters in the movie, such as Jenny's catch and the restaurant's bestseller Forrest's seafood feast. Um, what? everything else in that movie is based off something real, except that one thing. Just yeah, I know. Isn't that crazy? Um, and it's actually sort of they did a little bit of like, uh, like they made it real so that you would like now you are confused about that. Like everything else was based on something real. So they were like, we're going to cause this to exist. Um, one fun fact from my wiki hole is that actor Chris Pratt was discovered while working as a waiter in Bubba Gump Shrimp Company in Maui. Well, he was waiting on the table of actor director. Uh, Ray Don Chung and Chung offered Pratt a role in a short film she was uh, directing at the time and that's how he uh, came to our wonderful life make our lives better um, was from being aware there which is kind of fun um, isn't this nuts it's just nuts because I, I was like are there a lot of other restaurants based on movies that and the answer is no this is not a thing people Paramount does not have a restaurant division except for Bubba Gump Trim Company it's so <laughs> weird I mean, yeah, it just goes strange. into that, like, just how weird of a time it was that, like, a, mo- a movie like that could be so successful and have so much of a cultural impact. Never, never, ever doubt the power of boomer nostalgia. <laughs> it's just... I mean, but, well, so, I mean, I guess this is kind of like real-life film licensing thing like this. It more reminds me of, like, Disney in the 90s when they, like, bought the Angels and the Mighty Ducks hockey team and, like, made them into Disney franchise-related things instead of just, um, like, that's when they they had the sports division, uh, which I believe was famously not a success, but I could be wrong about that. We did talk about the ducks. The ducks rule. Everybody loves I mean, they might rule, but I don't know if it was a financially good decision for Eisner. Oh, yeah. No, I don't even think they still own them now. I think about it. I don't think they, they I'm pretty sure they are no longer invested in those. But um, this is another wiki hole. Here's my other thing from the wiki hole, though, is I was like, there's got to be other restaurants based on movies and TV shows. And there are, but they're not usually officially licensed. There's a lot of like fan restaurants so like obviously you probably heard of central perk in beijing where they just like made 
a coffee shop that looks just like the coffee shop in Friends and called it the name of the coffee shop in Friends because you can't sue them because they're in Beijing. Um, there's also a bar in New York themed after Tim Burton called Beetle House, where people dress as characters from Tim Burton films and when they mm-hmm. serve you. Um, this is the closest thing I found is that there's a um, Saved by the Bell themed pop-up restaurant that has been in LA and Chicago, New York, and is currently closed, but is going to open up more. It's like on tour theoretically, but that started out as a, as a like nineties themed obsessive restaurant. And then NBC was like, this is kind of neat. And then partnered with them. So it went that more natural route rather than like them setting it, NBC setting out to create a dish called AC sliders. Yeah. So what do you think about a read it and weep kind of break breakfast in bed? Uh, place. Wait, is and it a bed and breakfast or is it a breakfast in bed <laughs> it's, it's a, a breakfast in bed okay it's a breakfast in bed place and it's called eat it and sleep what do you think Ooh, eat it and sleep that sounds like dinner in bed but um and here's 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 the thing if you really like the bed you can take it to go we'll yeah. just put it on your tab and what? you know what's a, what's a really good movie to fall asleep to um the lord of the rings fellowship of the Rings. I mean, for sure. It's so easy. That'll um, be the official film of the Eat It and Sleep restaurant. I think that's a great idea. I Everyone's think people should all go to Eat that It and film. Sleep. Um, I will uh, talk to our investors. I'll get on that. Um, one last thing from this wiki hole. Um, my favorite fan restaurant that I discovered is like three blocks from my apartment that I have not seen yet, but it's right around the corner. There is an Asian fusion restaurant in Koreatown that is Titanic themed. Um, with not officially um, it's called cafe Jack and it looks like a boat and the owner liked Titanic so much that he changed his name to Jack. Fuck it. Yeah. And Jack hangs out in the restaurant every night doing tarot readings for his customers, which are notoriously accurate according to the reviews I read. And um, I'm making some assumptions here, but he's so dedicated to realism that because of the pandemic uh, cafe Jack is underwater. Oh God. <laughs> It's just a little joke about how everything's bad yeah. right now. But anyway, yeah. that is a look inside my wiki hole. How do you how do you find it in there? Oh, uh, it's it, it's deep. It's a deep hole. <laughs> that's the key. That's what I, everyone says about it. No one says it's good, but they agree it's deep. I like that it's free um, and it's always begging me for money. <laughs> so your I wiki like hole is things. always just begging. Please, Hunter, can I just have some <laughs> of your dollars? And I'm like, no, nah, man, you gave me you gave me this hole for free. <laughs> Uh, that's good enough. All right, everybody. Thank you so much for sticking around uh, to this deep into the show. Thanks for listening. We'll be back again next week with more season three, slightly kind of sending film school next week. We're going to do an interesting experiment that is kind of interesting in relation to this particular discussion. Um, but we're going to focus instead on, uh, I guess on the editing process and specifically on the power of different cuts of a movie. Specifically, we're going to be watching the 1985 film Brazil, And we're going to watch ourselves. We're going to watch two different cuts of the movie. And then we're going to discuss how those two cuts, uh, how they hurt us or healed us. That was just a cut joke. I was trying to make them. Anyway, it doesn't matter. You get it. (laughs) We're going to watch two different cuts of Brazil. That's what we're going to do next week. So that'll be uh, certainly an interesting and presumably less contentious discussion. Um, Oh, I don't know. I love that. I love the studio version. That's how (laughs) I feel. (laughs) Happy all around. Yeah. Oh, well, that's a possible. I mean, I I like a happy ending, probably. I think I do. <laughs> no, that's definitely what's gonna. Happen. Um, that's I don't know. The I mean, I right like, there. Some movies I don't like a happy ending. Um, 
Yeah. Anthony, is know. that why you picked this movie? I hadn't actually considered that, but <laughs> I'm just like thinking about what have I done. Straight <laughs> to the bank. Straight to that the bank. All definitely, right. I will, yeah. We should, you know that what was... we should do? Actually, this would be more fun. I have a fun game. So what if we mix them up and we don't know which one's which and we watch both of them? We don't even oh, know which one's blind. Which. Yeah. Interesting. Uh, we'll have a we'll have a third party attack like name them with numbers. Right. And yeah. so you watch cut one, cut two, cut two, cut, cut one three, and, and we'll cut them. Pretty big difference in terms of the running time. So that yeah, the run time's a... usually a giveaway with these cuts, but that's true. <laughs> well, this is interesting, and I now I'm and now you're going to be worried that if I do like the, or at least I'm worried that if I do like the <laughs> ending of one better, it's because I'm trying to troll you, which is not promise, not how this works. It's just I don't. There's nothing less comfortable for me than being on this side of things. Just so you guys know. <laughs> um, uh, actually, that's yes. That is. It's only slightly less comfortable than when I like something and uh, people who I respect tell me it sucks. Uh, that's also hard. But this is harder for sure. Because um, at least then I get like a thing to watch that I like. This is like I'm just out here in the wind with nothing. Right. Anyway, thank you guys for hanging out. Thanks, uh, Anthony, for um, being patient with me. Uh, no worries. Just. Uh... Definitely not going to quit smoking cigarettes this week, it turns out. Thanks for hanging out. Thanks for hanging out and uh, uh, being patient with me as well, Hunter. Yeah, yeah. Hey, just broke my heart. That's what I needed today, though. You know, sometimes you just got to get your heart broken. I hope I hope it like snapped you back. Um, I do have, especially from the mailbag, I have a really heartwarming letter that I will read you next week, Hunter. That is like Ooh. most especially to you. And yeah, so, yeah, make me um, wait, I, baby. I, it's just that it's too late. I don't have time, but we'll come back to it next week. Anyway, you'll like it. Um, and thank you to all our meat buddies who support the show, even if they don't remember doing so. We'll talk to everybody next week. Goodbye. Hey.